Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you for worship today, and welcome to all of you who are with us from many different locations today. It is good to be with you as well. Bear with me, please. I'm struggling. I spent most of the day yesterday at the soccer field, and it seems to collect right between my eyes. Um, My lower back is also in pretty bad pain right now as I woke up this morning and tweaked it. So I hurt my back sleeping. Struggle is very real. But we are in this fourth week of our Lenten series. We're looking at invitations that Jesus presented throughout the course of his ministry. I began this series by looking at three different invitations that we see in Luke chapter 9. Leanne then preached from Matthew 11 where Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. And last week, Dave examined John chapter 7 where Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. If you missed any of those sermons, please go to our archives online and give those a listen and catch up. Uh, And today we'll be in Matthew chapter 4 if you'd like to turn there and get ready. And this passage will also be on the screens. I'm especially fond of today's story because it has to do with fishermen. Does anyone like to fish competitively or leisurely? Does anybody like to fish? I think maybe a few of us aren't even here for church today because they're in the fishing tournament up the road. Um, I grew up on the rear end of a bass boat. In fact, If I were to close my eyes and picture my dad, this is kind of the image that comes to mind. This is what I grew up looking at. My dad would take me fishing and teach me many different things on that boat. Uh, Many days we caught hardly anything, and other days we met our quota quite early in the day. I remember my dad driving his 21-foot champion bass boat so fast over the top of the water as the sun was coming up that bugs would just splatter in our face and stick in our teeth. And strangely, I think he liked it. He taught me the difference between the crankbait, the sluggo, the brush hog, super fluke, popper, and spinner. And he taught me the appropriate times to use those lures. My biggest bass that I've ever caught happened to hit a top water buzz bait on Lake Fork in Texas. And if I were to tell you how heavy that bass was... I guarantee I'm going to be lying, so I'm not going to lie, especially in church, so I'm not even going to tell you how big that fish was. But I share all these stories to prime your imagination as we enter into today's text and examine this invitation, again, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. At the very beginning of this series, I challenged you to envision yourself there along the journey with the disciples, listening in as Jesus made these invitations and presented these invitations to possible followers. So picture yourself 
There on the road with Jesus and the disciples, we're we're in Matthew chapter 4. Let's begin with verse 18. Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. The Sea of Galilee, as you can see, is actually a large lake, 13 miles long and at its widest point, nine miles wide. Simon and Andrew were living in Capernaum and they were professional fishermen. This was their family business. Very hard work and extremely long hours for a lower to middle class wage. Now, if you just read the Gospel of Matthew, you get this picture that Jesus is walking along and he goes, hey, come on. And this is kind of the first time that they ever had any kind of exchange or met one another. But we know from the Gospel of John that they did know each other and that these men had already declared faith in Jesus. Maybe they didn't know exactly what that meant or where that would take them, but it's likely that many, if not all, of the first disciples were originally disciples of John, following the teachings about Jesus through John, and then, of course, started to follow Jesus when he arrived on the scene. But although they knew one another in advance, it does not in any way decrease the significance of their commitment that day when Jesus invited them. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. And check out their response. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Everyone nice and loud, say at once. Matthew is stressing two things through this language. The immediacy of their response, but also the radical nature of it. If you remember from Luke chapter 9, Jesus presented this invitation to a few guys, follow me. And one of them says, let me go bury my father first. So what he's doing is he's saying, let me go hang out with my family until my old man passes away and I can get my inheritance. And then I'll come follow you with pockets full of cash just in case it doesn't work out with you. At least I've got my plan B ready to go. The other one, Jesus says, follow me. And he says, let me go say goodbye to my family first. And we talked about how that seems to be a pretty innocent request. I mean, how many of y'all want your mother to worry? None of us. So let me first go say goodbye to my family. But this is not the case with Peter and Andrew. There was no hesitation. There was no delay. They rushed to follow and obey Jesus. The scene even plays out in such a way that it doesn't even look like they emptied their nets. Here we see a complete break from their previous way of life and a voluntary surrender to a new and sacrificial lifestyle that included a lot of unknowns that they would discover along the way. We continue on in verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. 
Jesus called them and immediately, say immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So this recruitment trail is continuing on with two more brothers in the fishing business, James and John. Interestingly, as I looked into this further, the Greek word here for preparing their nets is better understood as mending their nets. So if you read in your biblical translation that they were preparing their nets, you get the idea that these guys are about to go out and start fishing. And Jesus kind of shows up and interrupts them before they begin fishing. But the Greek actually says mending their nets. So it's better understood that they've already been fishing. Perhaps the work day is already over and they're cleaning debris off of their net or they're mending holes in the net that were formed while they were fishing. So there they are, probably with a boatload of fish, right? Whatever the case is, they've got to walk away now from their day's work. No hesitation, no delay. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. When I was preparing this message, I paused right here and realized that I've actually seen this biblical scene in a more modern movie scene. And perhaps you've seen this scene as well. Check it out. Try out my sea legs. Well, you ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dane. Yes, I know that. You wrote me a letter, you idiot. Well, well, Captain Forrest Gum. I had to see this for myself. <laughs> and I told you if you were ever a shrimp boat captain, that I'd be your first mate. Well, here I am. I am a man of my word. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but don't you be thinking that I'm going to be calling you sir. No, sir. It's my boat. <laughs> That's my boat. Don't email me. I'm not really suggesting that Jesus is anything like Lieutenant Dan, nor am I saying he smokes cigars. But what I remembered from that movie is that Forrest didn't hesitate. He just jumped. He didn't even look like he was that great of a swimmer. He didn't look like he had much concern for his boat. What he wanted to do the most was get to Lieutenant Dan. 
He just jumped. Peter and Andrew and James and John, they just jumped. They left everything. And as I read this picture in Scripture, it's as if I can hear all four of their voices come together in perfect harmony and sing these lyrics, the world behind us, the cross before us, no turning back, no turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. After studying Matthew four eighteen through 22, I see three theological features about discipleship. If you're taking notes, this is the first. The initiator of discipleship is Jesus. It's always Jesus. Now, at this time, a Jewish rabbi taking on a disciple was the result of the disciple seeking discipleship from the rabbi. A potential disciple coming to the rabbi and saying, can you fit me into your schedule? I want to study under your leadership. I want to learn from you. Will you take me as one of your pupils? And then the rabbi got to decide. But Jesus completely reversed the cultural norm here, and he calls his disciples to follow him, just like he calls you and me to follow him. At that time, Jesus was, and here today, Jesus still is, the initiator. He initiates relationship with us. And this can be confused by this modern language in the church of, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord? Right? Have you accept? I don't know why I did that voice. Have you accepted Jesus into your heart as if Jesus has to reach some qualification to be accepted in your life? Jesus initiated this with you. Jesus pursued you because Jesus loves you. And then you get to decide if you want to follow As you look at the various translations of Hebrews 12, 2, you'll read that we fix our eyes on Jesus, and then you see these words, the author, the champion, the pioneer, the founder, the originator, the initiator of our faith. By initiating relationship with us, Jesus is saying, come and live with me, and walk with me, and learn from me, and follow my example. One definition of a disciple is an adherent and follower of a master, an intimate companion in some common endeavor, and one who learns and promotes a particular ideology. This is a disciple, or more simply put, one who remains in Jesus Christ, or if you like John 15, that abiding relationship, One who remains in Christ, loves God and other people, and produces fruit. There's there's visible evidence and fruit in your life that you're a Christ follower. Remain, love, fruit. This is discipleship. Remain, love, fruit. Say that with me out loud. Remain, love, fruit. This is the invitation that Jesus himself has presented for every single one of us. Number two, the cost and reward of discipleship is radical surrender. These new disciples left their lifestyle. These new disciples left their livelihood. And two of them even left their father standing there on the boat. Can you imagine his position in this story? Where are you going, boys? There's more work to be done today. 
And this is not at all to say that Jesus disregarded family. In fact, the opposite is true. Jesus had very clear expectations on marriage and fidelity, divorce, parenting, love, mutual respect, mutual submission, mutual honor. Jesus gave very clear instructions on how we relate to family. But Matthew 4.22 is teaching us that following Jesus means that he has our absolute allegiance above and beyond anything and anyone else. At the end of the day, this radical nature of Jesus' demand on each one of our lives may not leave room for very long farewells. We just jump and follow. The thought occurred to me this week how much I love my wife. Deeply love my wife. That's not the thought that occurred to me. I always know that I love my wife. The thought that occurred to me is that almost 18 years ago, I surrendered many things in my life in order to marry her. Just like she surrendered many things in her life to marry me. Here's the thought that occurred to me. I never stand around and talk with anyone else about the amazing cost of loving my wife. Because I love my wife. So if I love her as much as I do, I wouldn't get together with you and say, boy, listen to the cost that it's been on my life to be married to my wife. It's actually a reward. So in no way am I knocking the title of Bonhoeffer's amazing book, The Cost of Discipleship. Highly encourage you to read it. I'm saying at the end of the day, if you love Jesus, yes, it will come with a cost. But it's also a deep, profound, intimate, unrivaled reward in our lives. Yes, there's cost and reward. So as you practice radical surrender, remember the words of Charles Spurgeon. Nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. Third, the result of discipleship is a missional lifestyle. I intentionally say lifestyle because discipleship is not some program. It's not some 10-week curriculum that then we're going to march up on stage at Redeemer Church. Way to go. You're done. You've reached the top. You've finished the program. This is a lifelong commitment to living missionally, to casting our nets wherever we go and wherever God calls us, to live as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. I will send you out, Jesus said, to fish for people. This is a brilliant metaphor, but it's also very interesting, and here's why. I started thinking this week. Do you know what the purpose of fishing, during Jesus' day when he said, I'm going to send you out to fish, the purpose of fishing when Jesus said that was not leisure, right? It was for food. So to go out and fish, the result was a bunch of dead fish. It's true. So I start thinking, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? I'm going to send you out to fish for men. You send out fish for fish, they're dead. How wonderful that this mission that God calls us to is not about death. It's about life. 
If there's any death, it's the death to self. But the result is a new creation, a new identity, adoption as a son, as a daughter, and to be alive in Christ Jesus. Remember this life-giving message that we go out with every single day of our lives to the world. We tell them, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Come on. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but what? Save it through him. Hey, here's a final thought about the fishing metaphor. As Christians who are fishing for people, we don't just go where the fish are biting. That's a tactic when you're fishing for fish. But when we're called to be fishers of people, we don't just go where the fish are biting. I took Macy out to fish a few days ago. We've got this pond, and the wind was blowing, and the sun was hitting half the pond. Half the pond was in the shade. The water temperature is a little cold. And I moved Macy around the entire pond. We went around the entire pond together looking for where the fish were biting. We don't do that as believers. We fish everywhere. Whether there's a nibble or not, we're always casting our net. We're always looking in the last location that we could ever take the gospel. We're committed going that extreme, that far as fishers of men. A memory I have from fishing with my dad is that he would always attempt to cast in the most impossible places because he believed that's where the big fish was waiting. So in this context right here, you can probably guess where I would cast. I'd cast to the left or the right into the wide open spaces where I'm not going to get my lure snagged, break my line, and lose a nice buzz bait. That's where I would cast. But where do you think my old man was going to drop his lure? Right there. He'd sit on the front of the boat and he'd say, look. And he'd point right at a tiny little one foot by one foot window covered by branches, trees, moss, whatever. He'd say, I'm going to drop a lure right there. And he'd say, there's a big hog waiting right there for me. And then sure enough, he'd sling that line and drop that lure right there in that tiny little window And he'd look over his shoulder and he'd go, son, hold my feet. (laughs) And sure enough, he often caught that big fish that was waiting there in the shadows. So as I learned from my dad, and as I learned from this example of Jesus, as fishers of men, as fishers of women, As fishers of children, fishers of family, fishers of neighbors, fishers of colleagues, fishers of teammates, fishers of people you may never know personally. We don't just cast our line where we know the fish will bite, but we fish for all people. We fish in all spaces, not just where it's easy. To close, I invite you to take a moment and identify with Peter and Andrew and James and John. If you have at one point in your life already dropped your net and said yes to following Jesus, 
Maybe it's been years ago that you jumped out of that boat and said yes. I praise God for that today. But if not, maybe you're in church today because you know Easter's coming. Seems to be a part of your annual calendar, but it's not really a part of what you believe. But you felt drawn here. You felt the Holy Spirit inviting you, come and follow. Come and follow Father, Son, and Spirit. Maybe today, maybe right now, is the moment that you throw your net down and say yes and follow Jesus. His invitation to discipleship is for you. And he initiated relationship with you 2,000 years ago. Saying yes and following Jesus as Lord and Savior is as clear as Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. You can whisper that prayer on your own as we continue to worship today, or if you'd like to talk with someone about that decision, or you have questions about it, you can go right out that door after service and hang a left, and the first door on your left is our prayer room, and we have a team there and ready and available to talk with you and maybe talk with you about what your next steps may look like in your faith journey. If you begin new life in Christ today, please tell one of us, our staff, our team in the prayer room, somebody, because we want to celebrate that with you. Make sure that you have a Bible to read and again, come alongside and invite you in to the faith family that exists here at Redeemer. Will you stand to your feet, respond to God's word today, and lift up your voice in praise. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.